Sony. Hello, Canada. Today's date is February 12th, 2021. Welcome to a full edition of Canadian Common Sense, a couple days later than normal, but we're here for you. It's Tony here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in freezing cold BC. Okay, I'm going to stop you right there, my friend. Um, <laughs> seeing as you're in the Okanagan, I'm going to say freezing cold BC being what, you finally reached zero? Uh, no, actually, it's uh, it was minus 18 overnight. Oh. Uh, it's currently minus 7, but it's... Uh, for anyone who knows this area, this is actually quite cold. <laughs> um, but I did just come from hunting up north, and uh, and I did shoot myself an elk. Uh, Congratulations! And thank you. And uh, the the day I shot it, it was twenty eight below there. Oh my! Yeah, so it was it was quite cold. <laughs> So, so now I'm uh, just thinking of our listeners who lo- who live in the, in warmer climes, like uh, some of our listeners in the United States and uh, in Argentina, for example, Ecuador, who cannot fathom 28 degrees below zero. But it happens. As a matter of fact, that was what the high was here in in Saskatchewan yesterday was minus 29. So. <laughs> well, that's yeah. I mean, you know, when I first moved to Edmonton, the day I moved there. It was 35 below zero. Oh, my. <laughs> and the next morning when I got up, it was 42 below. And the whole time I was trying to get my truck started, I was thinking, what am I doing here? What am I doing here? <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so... Well, we got a lot to talk about today, and because we are a couple of days late with the show, and we apologize for that, but we just had a tough time with uh, scheduling between the two of us, um, we have even more to talk about than normal. We do, and just to break down the fourth wall a little bit for some of our newer listeners, Lewis and I, throughout the week between shows, tend to source topics for the show independently of one another. But at the same time, we get, we often get on the same vein. So we've got that going on today. We've got more talk about absolute vaccine failure on the part of the federal government. Elections in Newfoundland delayed. Pierre Polyev has a new job. Who owns the Canadian consulate in Beijing? And could Lewis be wrong about a spring election? Where to, sir? Well, let's start with the uh, the quick ones. Uh, the election back east. Let's start with that. Sure, yeah. There was uh, an election scheduled for Newfoundland and Labrador for tomorrow, February 13th, which, as far as I know, as of right now, the, as of this recording, is still set to go ahead in 28 of the 44 ridings. And in the other 16 writings, the chief medical health officer has pulled the pen because of a COVID outbreak, a a spike in cases, and a lot of the election poll workers have called in sick or simply refused to go. So this is unprecedented in Canadian history. Like, I don't know if there's ever been an election where, you know, 
half or two thirds of the polls vote and the rest don't. So I'm, I actually don't know how they're, how they're going to handle this. Yeah, that's interesting. I mean, we've had elections in what, four other provinces um, during, could, during yeah. three, maybe three really or good. four other provinces, yeah, three. including New Brunswick, British England. Columbia, Saskatchewan, and now Newfoundland. So, yeah. So we've had three previous elections during this, uh, during this uh, pandemic and not one of them resulted in a, an outbreak. Not one of them resulted in increased numbers. So, I mean, I kind of have, I kind of have a bit of a bit of an issue with them with the with delaying the election in 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 like a third of the writings. It's uh, to me, it doesn't make any sense. There's no science to back that up. No, you're right, and I know that we Newfoundland is roughly half the population of, of Saskatchewan here. So if I, you know, try to equate the numbers, that would be like uh, saying, okay, there's 200 cases a day here would be somewhat similar to what Newfoundland is going through now. And we were kind of business as usual at that. I mean, I understand that a lot of poll clerks or election workers tend to be retirees, just, you know, doing something to kill some time and make a couple of dollars. So I get that, but I think that the chief medical health officer being outright calling it off is well short-sighted, maybe a little bit of a maybe a little trigger happy. Yeah, maybe maybe a little uh, self a little self-importance going on, maybe. Well, possibly, yeah. Yeah, trying to show the unelected bureaucrat power. <laughs> yeah, I just I just don't understand it. I don't see the, the point behind this. I mean, it's uh, three other elections were pulled off without any issues at all. Yeah. And, see, and, and in fact, and in fact, we had a a a national like federal election south of the border and there were no spikes recorded because of their election yeah that's a good point so <laughs> i mean this is i think this is playing it way too safe well it is and uh what i'm curious about and i'd like to get your opinion on this is is where do we go from here so let's just say if the polls open tomorrow or, you know, in those 28 ridings where they can and everybody votes in those 28 ridings. Do we then keep the ballot secret and do the parties get to continue to campaign? Like it's, I don't know. Really, I, 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 I think you keep the ballot secret and the parties are not allowed to campaign. Yeah, because you think yeah. if they get to keep campaigning, that really is disadvantages the voters who have already voted, right? Yeah, exactly. I, I think that at this point, you've got to say, we're keeping, we're not even going to count uh, votes, because that could always slip out somehow. So we're not even going to count the votes, and the parties are not allowed to campaign. Yeah, you know what? That might actually 
That would actually work, I think. Yeah, because if they don't count the votes, then then nobody can leak anything that, oh, my God, you all you conservative supporters better get out and vote or all you NDPers better get out and vote. So, yeah, you're right. They don't they don't even count anything and parties don't campaign. Then. Yeah, I I guess that's God, that's got to be about the only way they can do it. eh? I think so. Yeah. Yeah, because they were talking about, well, let's just switch to mail-in ballots. But uh, the, uh, I think it was the leader for, for progressive conservatives from Newfoundland was on with Evan Solomon. And his point was, because this was, it was a, a yesterday's show, and said, well, we've got two days. We're not going to get everybody mail-in ballots and teach them how to fill them out in two days. So, I mean, they're in a real pickle there. Yeah. No, and I mean, the whole mail-in balloting thing, I mean, (laughs) let's be real. All it did was cause a big mess south of the border. Let's not do that here. Yeah, no kidding. You know, actually, I think I like your idea. I think that probably is, that that's the only way they can make it work. I mean, and it's not perfect, but I think that's that's all we got. Yeah. All right, well, good luck, Newfoundland. Um, as far as the polling, it was in going up until this point in time. The current Liberal government has nothing to worry about as far as being re-elected is concerned. And like New Brunswick, like British Columbia, that current government is likely to return as a majority from a minority. Yeah. But, uh, yeah, good luck to you, folks. I, I don't want to be, be Newfoundland right now. No. No, I, and uh, I wish, you know, Newfoundlanders would start to vote a different way because it might change the uh, the trajectory of that provincial economy, and it really needs to change direction. Good point. Um, but but they're not going to. They're going to keep voting the same way that they've voted forever, and it's it's kind of disappointing. It is because Newfoundland is actually on the brink of bankruptcy for uh, those of our listeners who don't know that. So. Well, I didn't know that. Oh, yeah, they're they're teetering on the brink. Like they are uh, dangerously close to actually going broke. So, wow, that's a that's a big change in direction. I mean, because it was only a few years ago that they were riding high like Alberta. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, and then the the downturn in the oil patches hurt them. Well. I wouldn't say more than Alberta, but it certainly hurt them anyway. I think it's hurt them more than Alberta. I mean, it's kind of one of the only industries Newfoundland has. And, um, I mean, the fisheries certainly isn't keeping it alive anymore. No, good point. Oil and gas is Newfoundland's biggest biggest economy, just like it is in Alberta. Uh, The problem is, is that I think it's a larger percentage of of Newfoundland's economy than than it is in Alberta, because Alberta's got a lot more going on than just oil and gas. And that's why Alberta isn't bankrupt yet. If that's all they had there, like the rest of Canada thinks that's all that has that that (laughs) happens in Alberta, Alberta, Alberta would be bankrupt like completely bankrupt and it would have probably happened a couple of years ago. Yeah. Well, that's a good point. All right. So we'll move on from Newfoundland and we'll just jump quickly into this one. There's another one we can bat down fairly quickly. Um, yeah. You pointed out to me the other day and then I got to follow up with some news stories that 
Pierre Polyev was shuffled into a new job and leaving me scratching my head. Yeah, I don't understand this one. Um, he has been moved from finance critic, which is, you know, basically second in command next to the leader of the party to the critic for jobs and industry, which an important role, but it's a bit of a demotion. Now, Aaron O'Toole has explained it as being uh, the fact that Pierre Poiliev is probably the Conservative Party's greatest asset and attack dog, and that uh, he has brought uh, a lot of attention to the Liberal Party's failings in finance, and he wants uh, the Liberal Party's failings in terms of jobs and uh, uh, and uh, industry to be exposed as well now. And that's why he has moved Pierre Poliev to that role. I, I don't know. I don't, I don't, I still don't quite understand it because Pierre Poliev is way too important to be um, moved to a role such as that. Well, and see that, that, that's kind of what I was thinking too. Like it's without a doubt to me, that is a demotion. I mean, uh, Mr. Polyev is, well, he's amazing. He uh, actually, I think it was Ezra Levant broke down some of the the numbers. And Pierre Polyev actually has like hundreds of thousands of engagements on like social media, Twitter and Facebook, whatnot, to the tunes of like 700,000 engagements weekly. Whereas Aaron O'Toole is like about 30,000. And Michelle Rimple Garner is in the 200 and some thousand area so i mean pierre polyev is very very popular and i think that anybody in conservative circles knows him and what's most important to me about pierre polyev is that he is a conservative i mean he's probably the most conservative member of the cabinet or the shadow cabinet that i know of so i have to ask myself is aaron o'toole just a little jealous maybe feeling like he's being outshadowed by pierre polyev yeah, maybe not jealous, but threatened. That might be a better word, yeah. Yeah, because, I mean, Pierre Polyev, everybody knows Pierre Polyev was, you know, cons- conservative voters and conservative party members' first choice to be leader when the, uh, when the campaign started. And so, I mean, Aaron O'Toole knows this as well. Like, he's, he's extremely popular with conservatives throughout the country. And, and it just, it makes you wonder if, if he's, if he feels a little threatened by him and feeling like he has to hide him a little bit. But the thing with Pierre Polyev is that you can't hide him. Oh, definitely not. (laughs) No, and you you could put him, you could put him on the, uh, uh, as the critic for, I don't know, the critic for daffodils <laughs> and he's still he's still gonna make himself known yeah that no that that's true you're right and when I, you and i were texting about it you had actually had written back to me that there is definitely one person on the liberal front benches who was breathing a big sigh of relief when this announcement was made yeah 
Yeah, can you imagine how relieved Christia Freeland is now that Pierre Poiliev is not her shadow minister? I can imagine her dancing up on top of her desk when she heard that news. I mean, she must have been she must have been just like jumping for joy and drinking some wine. I mean, <laughs> if it, if I was her, I'd be so happy right now. <laughs> oh yeah. So, like her her job just got 50% easier. Yeah, cuz I mean, he was the only one who actually would hit her with the tough questions. And I mean, she still would only give her stupid non-answers, but at least he made her look like a fool. I I can't imagine anybody else who could be on the attack and know his stuff as well as him. No, then there is nobody. I mean, and, and honestly, I mean, Aaron O'Toole is pretty good in his own right, but Pierre Poliev, there is nobody in the, in the opposition benches as good as him. No, I would agree with that for sure. So, yeah. So, yeah, we wonder about the, the, the sanity behind that move. But what we're wondering even more about the sanity behind is what the hell is going on with vaccines in this country? Canada has now slid to, I think last I heard we were 34th place in the world as far as how many of our citizens we vaccinated or what percentage I should say. I 38. 38th now? Yeah. We're 38. We're 38, Dad. That doesn't have a good <laughs> ring to it. <laughs> no, it doesn't. Too many syllables. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so it's it's embarrassing, honestly. And what's really embarrassing is that Canada has decided to take, steal, rob from the poor to take 1.9 million doses of the AstraZeneca vaccine when it is finally approved here from COVAX, which... If you're the regular listeners to the show, you will have heard me rant about this months ago, how Canada had given $400 million to COVAX, which was a, it's a fund to help procure vaccines for the, quote, poorer countries or, you know, developing countries. And then Canada decided, nope, we're going to take 1.9 million vaccines from those poorer countries. And... I've heard the liberal spin doctors saying, oh, it's our right. We have a right to take 50% or of what we've, for the money we put in or something like that. But that is not going over well with Canadians. I, um, I, I don't know, Tony, are, are we, is Canada a third world country? Well, we're becoming one. We're on our way. <laughs> but, but are we one right now? We are not. Because those vaccines are for third world countries. Well, exactly. And the whole continent of Africa has actually vaccinated less people total than Canada has. And the continent of Africa has 1.4 billion people. So we are the seventh largest economy in the world. And, and we are a first world nation. We are... Uh, I think we're only behind the U.S. in terms of standard of living in the world. And our government has to steal vaccines from third world countries because they did such a crap job in procuring 
vaccines for our own country. Yep. And what do we always say on this show? But there's more. There is more. Not only is our inept government absolutely crappy at getting procuring vaccines, they have gone cap in hand to the government of India. And of course, we all remember the Trudeau family's famous India trip a few years ago. And the Indians are still ticked off at us over that. But now Justin Trudeau has gone cap in hand to India begging for vaccines because there is going to be an AstraZeneca vaccine produced in, in India. The Indian government has given us the verbal assurance that they will, quote, do our best to help you. Well, I'm reassured. I, I'm feeling good now. How about you? Oh, yeah. Especially considering those are the same exact words we got from uh, Pfizer and um, <laughs> Moderna. And from Moderna. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, this is this is so embarrassing. I don't even know. I, I don't even know what to say. I mean, it's it, it's so embarrassing that our government uh, has to go around begging for vaccines that apparently we signed contracts for. I mean, if we really did sign contracts for them, oh, and we do. We have we have the the most diverse uh, portfolio. What were you, portfolio of? Yeah, the most diverse portfolio of vaccines in the world. In the world, Tony. Absolutely. Where are they? Now, that's the million-dollar question. And our friends in India even, even said that they will not be shipping vaccines to developing countries for at least six months. So I'm guessing they're not shipping anything to Canada for at least six months either. No, because apparently we're a developing country now. <laughs> we, we certainly must be. So much so that the province of Manitoba actually lifted the middle finger toward Mr. Trudeau and said, we're signing our own deal. And Brian Pallister, the premier of Manitoba, actually signed a deal with Providence Therapeutics, um, which is actually a Toronto-based company, but they have a facility in Calgary where they're going to manage the vaccines. I know that the Eastern media likes to say they're a Calgary company, but just for the record. And Providence Therapeutics, they won't even have a vaccine available till next year. But Mr. Pallister just said, you know what? We need to know we've got something coming in case the government can't supply us with what they have promised us. Now, what does that tell you? Wow. Yeah, I mean, it's just uh, this government is so inept they can't even. They, it's it's one of those those Walmart memes. You had one job: get some goddamn vaccines. And because you're suck so bad at your one job, now provinces are starting to go out on their own and make their own deals. And uh, this is a fifty million dollar contract that the province of Manitoba has signed. And I think he said they had put twenty percent up front, and then forty percent when the First order is made and 40% upon delivery. So, I mean, there's a pretty significant uh, amount of money going up for this. So, um, whether Brian Pallister knows something that the rest of us don't, or if it's just that he's decided, I think the quote he said, and I loved it when he was talking to, uh, I can't remember if it was on Power Play or what show it was, 
but he said we've gone from a Canada first policy to Canada last. Yeah, and and I mean it's 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 really quite embarrassing and quite shocking. Uh, I mean, in the House of Commons, uh, the Conservatives asked uh, the Prime Minister if he had been even been in contact with India regarding the uh, the vaccines that AstraZeneca is going to be producing there, and if we can get any of our of our vaccines from them, and. Of course, his his answer was, we are very proud to have the most diverse portfolio of vaccines of any country in the world. Yada, yada, yada. Which we all know means, nope, I haven't talked to anybody. And so, and then it was just a matter of, I think, two hours after that question was posed that the Prime Minister of India uh, tweeted, it was really great to get a call f- or to talk to my friend, uh, you know, Justin Trudeau, the prime minister of Canada. And and it's like, you know, that as soon as they asked that question, he went, oh, crap, I should call. And then he went back <laughs> to his office and he made that call. Yeah, no, you're right. And what really ticks me off, and again, regular listeners will know I discussed this Oh, at least two months ago, that the AstraZeneca vaccine can be produced here in Canada um, right now. Uh, Vito Intervac and the National Research Council labs can both make the, the AstraZeneca vaccine. And Nuvax in Montreal, right across the yard from the NRC, has had his hand up in the air, uh, Dr. Gerson, saying, hey, you know what? We could just start doing this right now. But the government of Canada said that the manuf- the vaccine companies just said, no, we don't want Canada to make them in-house. Well, how come Brazil and Mexico and Argentina and India and Australia and other countries can all make the vaccine in-house? Like, I, We're not being told something here. Yeah, all of those countries and others have all signed deals with the vaccine manufacturers that those vaccines would actually be made in their own country so that they would have vaccines earlier than if they waited for the for them to be made elsewhere. And Canada did not sign any contracts with those provisions in them. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's ridiculous. And like I say, we've got the capacity and uh, it's... Yeah, and Trudeau keeps saying that we don't, and he's lying. And he, he is. And there was an interview with uh, Dr. Amir Adaran, who is an epidemiologist, scientist, remember, follow the science. And Dr. Adaran, who was at the University of Ottawa, had said that the NRC facility in Montreal actually has the capacity right now that they could, could supply the Canadian market. And again, what the actual hell? Why is Canada the only country that didn't sign any any kind of licensing agreements other than with CanSino. Well, that was brilliant because that worked out so well. Well, because, Tony, don't you understand? Our leaders suck. Well, they do. And if you heard my rant a few days ago, Canada, you'll know my thoughts on those. <laughs> oh, 
we this country has such a vacuum with leadership at the top and we've talked about this many many times on this show uh way back last summer i know we were talking about this because of how uh of how badly trudeau was failing on the national stage as was the leaders of the as sorry as were the leaders of the uh, opposition parties um and where and where we were finding that the leaders really were in this country were at the provincial level. And, and, and I still stand by that. The provincial leaders are doing a much, much better job dealing with what we're going through than the federal government and the federal parties. Oh, absolutely they are. And uh, I mean, I've, I've had a, a little you know, disappointment with Mr. Legault or Mr. Ford, but although they both have done a lot better than Mr. Trudeau, but I think you look at people like Blaine Higgs in New Brunswick, for example. Um, you look at John Horgan in British Columbia. As you said before, don't agree with his politics or his policies, but I just got to tip my hat to him for how he's handling this. Yeah, I mean, John Horgan especially. And I mean, and, and you see it on TV actually quite a bit when, they act, when they're interviewing people on, uh, when, when they're interviewing like epidemiologists and virologists and that, and they're saying, you know, who... Is there anywhere in Canada where this is being done right? And everybody, every single time, points to BC, and and I have to agree. I mean, I don't, I don't completely agree with everything that they've uh, that they've uh, taken away from us here. But um, but out of everywhere in Canada, BC is doing it the best. And yes, they are NDP. And and I've said this before. I don't care. They could be they could be full on communists for all I care. What they're doing, their actions taken, have been the right ones in BC. And I will give them credit, uh, not, you know, in, and begrudgingly, but I will give them credit because they deserve the credit. They've done a good job here. And, and, they've, and they're going to continue uh, doing a good job from the sounds of things. I mean, uh, it's, it's, I don't see any big thing coming down the road that that is going to make me say whoa 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 hold on what are we doing here right um unless we have another third like a, we have a, a a big spike or something and they decide to shut everything down again but as we've seen across the country shutting things down doesn't work i mean everybody goes oh yeah the numbers are lowering in those places yeah but they're lowering in every province right. even the ones that didn't shut down like what happened in Ontario and Quebec with their with their shutdowns and their curfews and all of this stuff? It didn't work. The numbers kept going up and they stayed high. And then when they started to drop, was at the same time they dropped everywhere, including the provinces that didn't shut down. Yep, absolutely right. Now, uh, before we move on to our next topic, I just want to touch on what I hoped was just a, a conspiracy theory. And turns out now that we've had so far three people go public with their experience, COVID quarantine hotels are real. Did you know? Yeah. I was stunned that this one gentleman, uh, there was one gentleman from Toronto and two from Calgary that uh, said, so allegedly, well, I guess not even allegedly now, 
if a passenger, incoming passenger, hasn't had a uh, what's it called? The PCR test is that what it's called? Yeah. Okay, so they haven't had a negative PCR test within seventy-two hours before they they arrive in Canada, and they don't have a quote acceptable quarantine plan. They are whisked away by a private security company in a van with darkened out windows, taken to a hotel that they don't know where they are, and they're essentially locked up for three days. And there's 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 charter violations all over the place with this. I actually yeah. had to take a few of them down because it was just it's 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 crazy. That's a it's the it this is the kind of crap that happens in in, a, in communist China, except that it's happening in Calgary, Toronto. Yeah, you said you said three days. The, those those cases were all two weeks. Oh, dang! Yeah, and their family members have no idea where they are. They're allowed to talk to them, but they don't know where they are. They're not allowed to send any care packages. The food was. Like they, they, this one guy took photos of the food and everything that they were given, and it was tiny little child-sized portions, and they were, and they looked like they didn't look very good at all. They looked pretty disgusting. Oh, the, the hallway in the hotel, I don't know if you saw this photo, but the hallway in the hotel is completely covered in plastic. The floors, the walls, everything is covered in plastic. I did see that. <laughs> they have little boxes outside the rooms, which is where their food goes and their and their dirty laundry. And it's it's just it's shocking that this is happening in Canada. Although if you look at how much our prime minister admires China, it, it shouldn't surprise you. That's true. And we're going to get to our friends in China in about a minute. I do want to throw out there because, as I've said on previous shows, I actually downloaded myself a copy of the Charter for situations just like this. Because there is Charter violations everywhere in this COVID hotel crap. Um, Section 9, for example, our right against arbitrary detention. And if we, if we are being detained, we're supposed to be informed why we are being detained and then have the right to retain and instruct counsel immediately. Well, there, that's all gone out the window and mobility rights are gone. Like there's a, I know the section one talks about, you know, restrictions on your rights that can be quote, demonstrably justified in a free and democratic society. Give me any example how this is justified. Like I'd like to, but I can't exactly like the, the I if these gentlemen and any other people who've been victimized by this have the means, I hope to hell they sue. As do I. It's ridiculous. It is. Yep. It's 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 it's, it's criminal. And I I wanted it to be a conspiracy theory. I, I assumed it was a conspiracy theory until these three gentlemen came out and said, <laughs> no, here's what happened. Uh, and here and here are the photos like yeah. that's the thing yeah yeah nuts so we'll uh we'll go to our friends the chinese now do you want to start with the t-shirt or do you want to start with who owns the canadian consulate in beijing well let's let's just start with the canadian consulate because that that we can knock off pretty quick sure the the 
we have just recently found out that the Canadian consulate is actually owned by the Chinese government. Oh, how about that? Now, for those of you who, the, for those of you who don't know, embassies and consulates around the world are owned by the countries that they represent. And not only do they own the buildings, those buildings are considered uh, territories of the countries that they represent. Therefore, local local laws and local uh, law enforcement do not apply. And so, I mean, like, let's just take... For example, the United States and their embassies across Canada. Those buildings are American territory. They are not Canadian. They are American territory. So if an American is in trouble and they need protection, they go to those embassies or consulates. And as soon as they step foot on that land, or in that building, they are now in the United States. They're no longer in Canada. They're in the United States. Yeah, that's that's a that that's a really accurate way to put it. Yep. Yeah, and so, but not in China. In China, can the Canadian embassy is owned by the Chinese government, and this yes is where Uyghur Muslims are going to apply for asylum. That's right. And then anybody else who wants to travel to Canada, for example, would go to this consulate to apply for a visa to travel. Yeah. So now the Chinese government, if they're running the show, they know exactly who these people are. And, well, wouldn't it be really easy to say, oh, well, Lewis, I heard you... You've really talked a lot of smack about the government here. Sorry, you don't get to have a visa. You you have to stay here. Yeah, and that and I'm I'm I mean, knowing China, I, I'm convinced that 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 probably happens regularly. Oh, absolutely. You cannot tell me otherwise. No. Yeah, and 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 I bring up the Uyghur Muslims because, and I and for those of you who, I mean, if you're listening to this show you are paying attention to what's going on in the world. Uh, the Uyghur Muslims in the, uh, uh, I can't remember exactly which Chinese province it is, but the Chinese government Shenzhen. is rounding them up. What's that? Shenzhen in the West. West Shenzhen, yeah. yeah, sorry. And and I did know that, I just forgot the name of it. Um, the Chinese government is rounding them up and putting them in concentration camps. Just, yeah. just like, just like Hitler and the Nazis did to the Jews, and no, this is not an inappropriate comparison. That is exactly what's happening. It is exactly what's happening. Forced labor. They are called them re-education camps because they try to take away their religious beliefs. Does that sound familiar? And there's assaults there's their forced sterilization i mean if you yeah, the women, the the women are being, yeah the the women are actually being forcefully sterilized yeah 
And there are a lot of them that are being killed. Yep. So yeah. This is, and and the Uyghur Muslims, I mean, the, the one of the places that they are attempting to seek asylum is in Canada. And the Canadian consulate where they would be applying for asylum is owned by the Chinese government. Yeah. So how well is that going to end? Yeah. Ridiculous. Now, now the Mus- the Uyghur Muslims that the Chinese government didn't know were Uyghur Muslims, they now know are we are Uyghur Muslims. Oh, good point. Yeah, that's true. So, I mean, this is this is awful stuff. And but again, I I let's get it, let's just get into the whole uh, t-shirt debacle. Yeah, um, it's hilarious. Yeah, because this this goes right to what we we're just talking about as well. So, yeah. So uh, a little bit of background here. There was a hip hop group called the Wu Tang Clan. For people like me who aren't into hip hop, I had heard the name but knew nothing about them. But apparently, they have their their logo has sort of a bat like figure in it, and there was a someone who worked in one of the embassies over in China, Canadian, who thought it'd be a good idea to get some t-shirts made up with that little bat logo and call it the Wuhan clan. And exactly what we were just talking about, like you said, because China is a surveillance state, they were actually watching this person placing these orders, going back and forth with manufacturer and whatnot to make this Wuhan clan t-shirt, which was just obviously a joke, but the Chinese took it quite seriously and demanded and got an apology from the Canadian government over a bloody T-shirt. Yeah. When who should actually be apologizing? It should be the Chinese government that should be apologizing for the mess that the entire world is in right now. Yeah. And what really bugs me, well, lots of, bug, lots of bugs me about this, but what bugs me more is that not only did they create a big furor and make Canada apologize, and Canada did issue an apology over a stupid T-shirt, for one thing, but then number two, there was a, a Chinese embassy employee uh, here in Canada, in Ottawa, who issued a statement scolding the Canadian media and essentially saying that the Canadian media really needs to stop covering China in a negative light. Um, how about shut up? We have freedom of the press here, at least for right now. So um, maybe stop being worldwide jerks and we'll stop calling you worldwide jerks. Well, I mean, and here's the thing. I mean, the Canadian media has gone pretty damn soft on China through all this. I think so, yeah. They haven't been nearly as harsh as they should be. They haven't done nearly the uh, digging and research that they should have done. I mean, the CBC is still propagating this BS narrative that COVID came from a bat. Isn't that insane? I mean, that, that, I, was, something yeah. that, was, that was knocked down, God, what was it April last year when the when they 
the, I think it was the U.S. military who had shown that it was from the Wuhan virology lab. God, April, May for sure. I mean, it was a long, long time ago. Yeah, and even the Chinese government has, I believe, they have even said that it's possible that it came from that uh, that that Center for Disease Control in Wuhan. Yeah, but yet the CBC, I mean, why do we call them the Communist Broadcasting Corporation? Well, here you go. Here's a good example. Yeah, because it's in an article that I read yesterday that they have, that they're, they're still talking about this bat and the wet market in Wuhan. And it's like, that narrative was destroyed, like absolutely destroyed, like nine months ago. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, rest, come on. Like the rest and, of the world moved on. Yeah, and and for anybody to say that the Canadian government or the Canadian mil, uh, uh, media is being uh, hard on China is absolute crap. Because just stuff like this shows that the Canadian media is going really soft on China. Yep, absolutely. So uh, I see we're coming up on our time here. I do want to cover off one more story, and that is, as I as I'd hinted at the beginning of the show, could Lewis actually be wrong about something? This does not happen very often, but you had predicted in our year-end show that it would be a spring election. Now, when Aaron O'Toole had his one-hour meeting with the Toronto Star editorial board, he flat out said he would not be the one to trigger an election this spring and with liberal numbers finally starting to drop a little bit do you think we're still going this spring i don't know uh and the reason i say that is because of the vaccine situation uh i think that if the vaccines were rolling out still uh that we didn't have the interruption that we're currently experiencing I would say, yes, absolutely, we are still going for a spring election. The Conservatives and the Liberals are have both been announcing on a daily basis. Uh, well, actually, I think the Liberals have actually stopped in the last few days, but the Conservatives are still announcing on a daily basis uh, newly selected candidates. Um, so I think they're still preparing for it. I think they're going to be ready for it if it happens. Um, I think the, the liberals, I think are probably having a rethink over this whole spring election thing because their numbers are falling and they're falling because we are now going into a third week of no vaccines. Yeah. And the numbers aren't looking good. Like they've even just said there's going to be, I think 148,000 vaccines coming or maybe it's maybe it's enough to vaccinate 148,000 Canadians next week and I thought well that's really poor and you're right I mean Annamie Paul the leader of the Green Party is actually all now announced that the, she'll be running in Toronto Centre so the parties are getting ready for it so uh, do you think that maybe Jagmeet Singh will actually have the cojones to uh, to vote against Justin Trudeau for once and force an election? No I don't and, and I, I say that because, yes, the NDP are, are, are basically broke, but the NDP have, uh, like, their numbers are really low. 
And they're and if they call an election, if an election happens, the NDP are going to end up with fewer seats. And and he knows that. And I don't think that he's going to risk that. Yeah, I'd agree with that. I mean, you and I have both predicted that uh, the NDP is going to get decimated in this next federal election. And in my opinion, that's all Jagmeet Singh's fault because he's done nothing but prop up the liberals who keep stealing his his platforms and he just keeps rolling over and trying to go further left. So it's it's on him if they if they do lose it. Yeah, and I mean, really, he shouldn't be like allowing the liberals to steal his policy positions. He should be standing up and saying, those are ours, like claiming them. I mean, he should be standing up and claiming them. Instead, he's backing down and um, taking on new policy positions for the Liberals to steal in in two years from now. Yeah, good point. So, uh, so what are the dynamics if we do go get a get a spring election? Is Justin Trudeau just going to go to the, I guess, now Chief Justice of the Supreme Court and ask for the election, or is he going to try to engineer it through the through Parliament? Uh, I think that he'll, uh, I think he'll dissolve government and use the fact that they have a minority government as his excuse for not being able to get things done. Yeah, you know, I think if it's if he's going to go, I think that would be the way he'd do it. I'm not convinced that we're going to get a spring election now unless, like you say, unless suddenly the vaccines start rolling in, which is not likely. I mean, there's, but they still, they keep standing by this to this goal of 6 million vaccines by the end of March. It's like, well, <laughs> uh, that's only six weeks away. I think you need to keep an eye on the NDP's polling numbers. If the, if the NDP's polling numbers start rising, I think that, you're going to see the NDP uh, vote for non-confidence. And I think they will try and find some way to do it as quickly as possible because uh, they need to strike while the iron is hot. And if they don't, then they'll uh, end up losing seats. Yeah, that, that, I think that's actually excellent point. Yep, that's certainly something to watch for. Well, Canada, we had a couple more things, but looks like we've hit our time here. So uh, you can expect a rant or two between now and the next show. But until then, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, from Tony out here in Saskatchewan. And Lewis out here in BC. Tony.